My name is Michael Kewell. I'm Roger Bell West. And this is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice. And welcome to the future. It's 2014 and there are no jetpacks on moon bases. Who do I complain about? You're not allowed to know about the moon base. Ah, right. And today we're going to talk about the past, rather than the future, about the Second World War. And how to game in it. first uh, analysis of the new year. Our topic is war. What is it good for, if anything, in role-playing games? Especially, Gaming. especially uh, the Second World War. We have a, a guest with us, John Dolman. Hello. Hello. Who is here to talk with Roger and me about this very subject. Roger, begin the, the analysis. Well, what I thought would be a starting point is what games are actually available for World War Two. Okay. Because there are quite a few, though none of them seems to be terribly um, well known. What comes first, behind enemy lines? Yeah, that seems to be the earliest. It's a slightly funny thing. In some ways it's like original, original D&D. It's more of a war game where single figures have statistics than a role-playing game. That was certainly the impression I got as well. When, when was it? I know the third edition was, was out uh, circa 1990 because I ran into Peter Rice who wrote it. And he was enthusing about it. Uh, I think it was 77, 78, first edition. Not yeah. sure. I, I think it had fallen into disuse and he got the rights fairly cheaply. Mm. Yeah, it's a game with no mental stats for characters, but shooting ability as a fundamental stat is... That's where Phoenix Command got it from. <laughs> <laughs> But, right. yeah, th th this is basically a war game system. In, in terms of things that one would recognise as reasonably more full role-playing games, I think the second one is probably Gertz World War Two. Yeah. That long? I mean, that's... that's... There, there have been occasional scenarios. Um, that there was a thing back, back in the early days of Dragon, mm -hmm. which was basically a war game of a fantasy party with necromancers and so on, versus a small German unit of troops. But in terms of World War Two role-playing... I think it was World War II was the first one. Was I the first seem one I to had. recall, um, uh, and your better memories will, will correct me, that there was at least one traveller scenario which involved um, uh, alien spacecraft crashing into, into Nazi-occupied Europe. Um, but I think that was just a one-off rather than... Uh, it, was mm. it was certainly a possibility people were, were exploring because, hey, Nazis! <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Gertz World War II is... is quite unusual in, in terms of the, the other games we're going to look at, because it actually mentions non-combat jobs. Yeah, it, it covers pretty much the whole war. It doesn't enforce a specific style. Quite a lot of these other games do. And it's got truly excellent research. Mm. The short summary of the course of the whole war at the start of the rulebook is the best I've seen in any medium. <laughs> the only downside to using it now is that it was mostly written for GURPS 3rd edition. Yeah, it'll so work it's... okay if you just play it as 3rd edition. <laughs> yeah, I prefer the mechanics of GURPS 4th, but I, yeah. haven't, I haven't found any particular difficulties, really. Only stats for vehicles are the, are the major challenge. Yeah, and if you... and vehicles... And unless you're going... Tanks, we want tanks. <laughs> Can't go wrong with a tank. Oh, come on, come on. Don't, don't tell battleships at least. 
Well, Gertz World War II does have stats of battleships. Anyway, Weird War Two, which is mildly confusing because it's, that's also the title of a Gertz World War Two book. But for for the purposes of today, if we say Weird War Two, we mean the separate game published by Pinnacle Entertainment. Thank you. Which, so, what was that? Uh, that was statistically that was system based on. There are two versions of it. The first is D twenty. It does quite a lot of work to provide character classes, rules and so forth for doing firearm-based combat with the 20. The results aren't super plausible, but it, plausible, but it doesn't explode in your face. Particularly if you're taking an action sort of sensibility to it. Yeah. The second edition is based on Savage Worlds. It's actually what the Savage Worlds system was created for because they found D20 didn't work very well. Mm. There are quite a bunch of supplements for it. There, it's, there's some good information in them, but you have to filter out the D20-ishness. I think probably one could classify most of these things as the war is going on as it did historically, but suddenly zombies or monsters of some sort. Pretty much. There are... So it's like uh, wainscoting, um, wainscoting or transformation? Well, because the, the, there isn't really an overall campaign feel to it, at least that, I, that I've... Mm -hmm. it's, it's curiously inconsistent in that respect. It appears to imply that there's really quite large-scale weirdness, but that this isn't having any noticeable effect, yeah. because it's being handled by amazingly, amazingly gritty British and American commandos who are rising to the occasion, and there's a super, super secret organisation to run magic on the Allied side, but there's no fundamental disruption to the course of the war. Yeah, that's a. This is an issue we're gonna we're gonna come back to because oh, it's yes. a design. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so j j just running quickly through the other games, there's Godlike, which uh, is pitched as a superhero game, which frankly put me off it, but uh, John, I think, has read it. I have. It's a bit weird. I can't really tell how well it works, but if you think the White Wolf Lots of D10 system could use a lot more complexity in special cases, you'll like it. I'll, I'll stick my oar in because I've. I, it's, uh, it's the one roller engine. And I've played the one roll engine with Rain, and it's nothing like the dice pool system, but I still don't understand it intuitively well, well enough, despite having run about a three month long campaign of, of Rain. It's, it's an oddball system. People who like it, like it very much indeed. That said, um, Godlike is a peculiar instance of it. We'll, we'll probably one day ought to talk about super systems in yeah. general, but, mm -hmm. um, I've never found one I quite like, and Roger doesn't like them at all. Yes. What, one interesting thing about Godlike is that he does face up to the concept of the disruption of history. Yeah. It has supers beginning to appear shortly before the war and starting to appear in greater and greater quantities. There is a certain amount of the supers on both sides cancel each other out effect, yeah. but things are allowed to come out significantly differently. All right. Um, yes, the peculiar willpower-based idea of supers in there is part of the game mechanics that's designed to keep the, the balance the balance going. But also, they do do make a certain amount of allowance for, uh, uh, for, for, for the world changing. You've got supplements like the 
Americans um, how to employ your superheroes in combat um, analysis, which is quite fun. And they they use the excuse of the stress of training and of combat, uh, mm. pushing people over the edge into superdom. But that's going off the topic. Roger, more systems? Uh, one more that I know about, uh, which is fairly newly out, Achtung Cthulhu, which as you can guess from the name, um, ha- has its genesis as a series of adventures set in World War II. Um, it actually dual stats for Call of Cthulhu and Savage Worlds. Uh, the, the main rule book came out in December, I believe. There was a terribly successful Kickstarter for it. Uh, and it's the only other one I've looked at that talks about non-combat jobs, because it's starting from the Call of Cthulhu mindset, that th- this is basically about investigation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so at the very least, it means that spies get involved. Yeah, it's been a, a bit all over the place. It, the, the the adventures don't. I think some of them do connect together, but most, mostly they're one-offs. So it's perfectly okay to say this particular adventure is about people in in a um, fighter squadron, without having to make the whole campaign about that. Um, so it, it's still coming out. They have they have plans for a lot more books, and I suspect that that will emphasise the civilian side more as they go along. Does the Achtung imply that you are are Nazis fighting the occult? No. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> um, it, it's trying to be reason, reasonably even-handed, but the emphasis is certainly on the British-American side mm. of things, particularly British, in fact. Yeah, it's... Call of Cthulhu system is a perfectly good engine for running, uh, running a realistic or nearly realistic World War Two game with... Combat is pleasantly lethal. <laughs> you could use Hero System too, but mm. I'm not really keen on Hero System for normal humans. Things graunch a bit. Yeah, it, 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 to my mind it tends to downplay the importance of skills by making them very cheap. Mm. But, um, okay, so th- th- those are the rule options one has available, I think. And I'm I, sure, I I'm sure a ingenious gentleman like yourself. Oh, you have another? Yeah, yeah. 1948, from Bloodstone Press, is Pulp World War Two. Giant tanks, big mecha, no atom bombs. D20. Mm-hmm. From the date, I take it, it's set with um, the no-atom bombs making a difference. Absolutely. Gearkrieg. Ah, it, yes. It's an alternate history World War Two, Mecha, super tanks, jetpacks, custom system. It's basically about vehicles. Mm-hmm. If you like having having a big board with lots of vehicles you spent lots of time painting, crawling all over the place, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly met that first as explicitly a war game. Um, yeah. Though I believe there is role-playing. There is. There's World War Two Heroes from Steel Magic Studios, which is D20 modern. Hmm. Weird War Two isn't explicitly D20 modern. I think either it predates that, or they just didn't use it. Yeah. And one hearty and comprehensive non-recommendation. Asian <laughs> Luftwaffe 1946. The chap thought up some really cool aircraft. Unfo- Based on the comic, I believe. Yes. Unfortunately, aircraft is much better at conceptualising than people. <laughs> <laughs> people. That's the only occasion on which I've actually tried to get my money back for a PDF product. Right. Without success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, well, you've got all these tools, mm-hmm. and you've got this, the setting, a big, big, huge, uh, wor- <laughs> huge worldwide setting. One of the great things about it is, it's it, that lovely sweet spot, after things got started getting recorded in huge amounts of detail, mm-hmm. but for the most part, 
old enough that people aren't desperately jealous of their recordings in huge amounts of detail. There is a lot of World War II film that isn't available, um, but there's an awful lot more that is. So, um, it, it, if you're the sort of GM who, who is prone to turn things into a research fest, guilty, yeah. it's wonderful because you can get all sorts of obscure stuff. And um, the, the, the really barking things that one would never put into a game are usually true. <laughs> Ah, the funnies. Not the, not, 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 not the secret agents, the, the tanks. Yes. Um, at, at the uh, same time, there's, there's enough room that you, that you can say, this thing was the case, and there won't be any, probably won't be any actual disproof of it. Yes. On barking cases, a chap who happened to be a friend of the First Lady got several million dollars out of the USA to train a special assault force for Japan. Thousands and thousands of dogs. This mm-hmm. happened. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. And bat bombs. And <laughs> After a while, the US Army told him to F off. <laughs> but it was, it was quite fun for a while. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right, no, no, the question I was going to come to before we got diverted into entertaining details was, given the scale of it, where do you want to start? What's the sort of... What's the sort of campaign, given that you're you, given that you've got all this stuff? What's the sort of campaign you want to run? Okay, there's a there's a sliding scale, mm. and in basically in terms of how ambitious are you, how much research do you want to do? The easy option, which everybody supports, is you're Americans post D Day, advancing into Germany, fighting Nazi weirdness. Yeah. That's the easy option. But it leaves out an awful lot. Like uh, two-thirds of the war. Yes. But if you just want to kill Nazi zombies... And take their stuff. <laughs> I don't want any stuff from Nazi zombies. I want it perfectly understood. They have some good guns. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm remembering that a lot, a lot of the... In, in some of the relatively early days of AD&D, orcs were being explicitly compared to Nazis as... Enemies that it's absolutely fine to kill because they are basically evil, and if if that's the sort of game that you, that you go for, then it's a, a way to go. Not 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 a style I find terribly interesting, but yeah. Whereas if you jack yourself up the ambition scale a bit, you then find yourself interacting with the actual historical course of events. Mm. Now there, you start introducing a new problem, problem because. If your players don't know anything about the history, they're going to miss half the fun. Yeah. But if they do, they've got a real firewalling job. <laughs> I understand the, the, the problem. I uh, Roger has a, a theory which says you cannot give a player more than an A4 side of briefing and expect him to be able to uh, process. That's at the start of the game, yeah. And how much briefing do you think per session? Um... I, d- I try to try to avoid briefing per session, but but stuff happens in the session and that then gets internalised into the players' minds much more easily. Mm-hmm. But yes, I, I play in Roger's World War Two game, and we take notes. Oh boy, do we take notes! <laughs> <laughs> the the game write up itself is is in in the six digits of words at this point. Yeah. All right, but you you have a point, and and then there, there's a slightly different point, which is as soon as you start making allowed changes to be made. I mean, you can't guarantee that the players will do anything um, 
lucky enough or sensible enough to actually make, or stupid enough to actually make a difference to the course of, of history. But once you, if you let, them, once you hit that change point, that yeah. everything, potentially everything after that, yes, is shattered and. and it's got some inertia to it. Right. They have a book somewhere, Ian Kershaw, Fateful Decisions, mm -hmm. which sets out the thesis, which it supports pretty solidly, Kershaw is a serious academic historian, yeah. that the course of World War Two had been pretty much decided by the end of 1941. Oh. <laughs> because, well, that's, 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 that's Barbarossa? That's... Barbarossa and the, the, the final decision that puts the, that puts the lid on it is the Japanese attack the Americans and Hitler de declares war on the Americans, yeah. making Roosevelt's job much easier. I've never understood why he did that. But, hey. <laughs> I have theories, but they're pretty. But they re re require understanding Nazi psychology to some extent. Let's not let's, <laughs> let's not attempt that in a podcast. <laughs> Thinking yeah. of historical changes, um, an, an example from my game, what, what, one of the uh, early reasonably significant changes was because of actions by the PCs, uh, Bismarck got sunk early, which meant Hood didn't get sunk, yeah. where she would have been historically. Uh, what, what this meant for me as Jim was I had to go and find out what, what Hood was scheduled to be going doing next, which is going off to the Far East, joining Prince of Wales and Repulse. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I then um, got hold of a naval war game and said, OK, how, how, do, how does this action go, um, the, the one that historically got Prince of Wales and Repulse sunk, if Hood is there as well? Mm. Also, we find out um, more, more about uh, Hood's commander, who would, have been, who would have been in charge of that particular fleet, and the, the charitable described him as not air-minded. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can answer these questions... It just takes research. Yeah, it, it, it meant I had to be prepared for strange things to happen. And as it turned out, because of some other random events, um, they, they, they found the Japanese surface fleet first before the aircraft found them. Mm. They had a significant engagement against that fleet and the, the survivors were more or less finished off by the bombers. This then has a knock-on effect because, historically, the Royal Navy learned, oh bother, a, a significant bomber force can actually take apart intact ships, which was something nobody had really believed before that. In this version, they, they say, well, the ships had already been shot up and they were damaged. Obviously, they couldn't be expected to fight off the bombers as well, which then meant that, that, meant that they, they went on being complacent for at least a few months more. But, but, the, you know, the, but the, this, the echo is gradually being damped out, is what I'm getting at. Right, by, but by, this, by six months later, it's more or less the all same. All this that you are doing is actually not directly affecting the P, the PCs because they're operating in the European theatre? Uh, well, it didn't at that point. <laughs> but they have since this, got, this reminds me of the story about Heinlein calculating by hand the, um, the, 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 the way an, an orbital uh, manoeuvre would work for, I think it was Space Cadet, and then losing it in, 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 in two lines of one paragraph in, in the book. But doing all, all the calculations pre, 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 pre most mechanical cal calculators on, on paper in order to, in order to make it work properly. I'm the sort of GM who wants the background to be right. Uh, I appreciate it. But still. Uh, a, a more recent discussion, uh, something came up in a game towards the end of the session, then I, then I had a quick chat with John by email. Is it actually possible to, look, to load a British torpedo into an American torpedo tube? Because this particular American submarine has just arrived in Sydney and he's seriously unhappy with his torpedoes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the answer is, 
With only a few hours of research, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, going back to a point you you made uh, earlier, is uh, is the idea uh, that the, there's the, there's the uh, it's talked about in in the, the GURPS time travel uh, supplement and in I think in, in Infinite Worlds as well for the new edition, the the, the distinction between the um, great forces and the great man theory theory of history. You're saying, 19, as, as of 1941, then uh, then it's a lot. Everything that follows is a logical progression from that. It's pretty much so. Yes. Yeah. Well, because things like the, the nation's capacities for production and and uh, and that, that sort yes. of thing is is pretty much set. But and on the other hand, the decisions made by um, uh, made by Eisenhower uh, prior to D-Day. The decisions yes. made by Montgomery after Montgomery and Patton after yes. D-Day yes. have years have the potential of of years worth. And uh, the, the question I'm going to ask is, which is more interesting for gaming purposes? The answer answer those strategic level decisions taken by presidents and prime ministers, mm. and the strategic level decision taken by high generals. Mm. As regards player characters down at, down at the sharp end in commando stuff, there's not actually a lot of difference. Oh, I, I so want there to be examples I could dig out that make this not true. <laughs> because um, I'm trying to think of some, but I can't. Yeah, of course, that's where you, the, you may be running the, up a different beach, but you're probably yeah. running up a beach. Yeah. Yes. Now, it certainly was the case that the Normandy landings could have gone on totally wrong. It would have required weather or or strikes of genius on the part of German intelligence. Mm -hmm. The forces on the beaches weren't fully capable of resisting the attack. Well, as I recall it, there were um, there were sufficient um, examples of idi idiocy on the Allied side, like say landing uh, an American division on the wrong beach. Uh, Halfway up the beach, the idiocy there was that somebody put the put the swimming tanks overboard five miles out rather than half a mile, so most of them sank before they got to the yeah, beach. Yeah, given, given <laughs> that the, 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 we, we, we did so much wrong and, uh, and, and still won, I, I, I have to hope that at some level, if not that I have a gun and I'm shooting the Nazi, <laughs> Uh, level that there is something that the uh, that the player characters can do that make a difference. Well, I mean, the, the, the thing that I'm looking at as a GM is I, I'm actually letting it be largely driven by the actions <coughs> of, of the player characters. Yeah. But my general feeling is if if it if it stays too close to the historical course, then the PCs will feel that, well, or at least the players will feel that they're not having an interesting influence up to a point at least. I mean, they they, they can be foiling terrible plots that never actually came to light historically. Mm. And this is great. But if, if it ends up being the exact same World War II that we know about, then to me that's a bit of a shame. Go, on the other extreme, if, if they change things completely, mm. then I don't, I'm, I'm not running a World War II campaign anymore. Yeah. Or at the very least, I can't use anything like the same research resources. All right, you are... Uh, so I'm, I'm trying for something in between the two. No, fair enough. You are... Uh, well, this is getting back to what I was trying to say earlier. You're running a, a, a World War Two campaign with weirdness. Yes, uh, that, um, that, and, that, that, and and your your player characters are some of the weird ones. Yes, that 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 is my excuse for changing it from the historical course. I I feel that if if 
if I could say this is a historical game and and you are people who were actually there, well, why would it go in any different way? You you are the people who are actually there. People war game to to. Uh, I have played a World War Two game which was pretty much exactly that. We mm-hmm. were we, we weren't individual portrayals of the German Special Forces group that was first first across the border the night before Barbarossa, because mm-hmm. we don't have that much detail about them. Yeah. But we went and did a scenario that was probably actually tougher than they had to do, and we took a certain professional pride in doing it without committing gratuitous atrocities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm thinking of this as, as a campaign length issue, though. Yes. Um, in, in a short adventure, it's perfectly okay to say, right, we, we have won the Battle of Britain and uh, hit the Luftwaffe so hard that they are never going to try that again. Mm-hmm. Or not. Yeah. But either way, you don't really have to live with the consequences. If, if you're thinking in terms of, I'm going to be running this game five years of game time down the line, and mm-hmm. I have to think about all the implications of that, that that's where I'm trying for that... Uh, um, the yes. Thinking of the weirdness, yes, yes, I did deliberately choose to to have magic in there. Partly, this is because I, I was very impressed by the magic chapter in Gert's Weird War Two, by Ken Hyde. Um Damn good book that for all for all sorts of weirdness. Most of the rest of it's not by him, but it's all pretty good. Um, but th- this is an- another thing to consider. And how how much weirdness do you want in a campaign? Um, Behind enemy lines, obviously enough, doesn't doesn't mention it at all. It's being historical. Uh, Weird War Two and Achtung Cthulhu have have it. They're, they're trying to present a coherent setting, and therefore they've made the decisions about how much weirdness you're going to have, pretty much. But if if you have particularly GURPS Weird War Two, mm. uh, you have an awful lot of options of how much weirdness, where, and for whom. Yeah, and and it goes to some some extent in la- laying out implications of what that might be. There's an issue that inevitably entangles with this, which is. What are your player characters actually doing? Well, that yeah. was what I was trying to get to, yes. Um, <laughs> um, there is... Uh, I've encountered talking on forums and things like that a number of views about this. Some people seem very keen to play genuine, typical, frontline soldiers mm. for reasons that I've never quite extracted a clear explanation from. Because I, I, I can see how it's paying historical homage and things like that, but it's but surviving several years of war as frontline soldier tends to stretch credulity. Oh I don't I don't I don't know that well yeah, yeah, yeah I think I think what would stretch credulity is for all of them to survive. Yes. I think uh, the, uh, there are plenty of people who um, who spent their time even in, in combat units all the way through the war and came out and, and had a, a good war and uh, yeah. achieved things and didn't get badly maimed in the process. But you have to have have a, a Call of Cthulhu-like attitude towards casualties, I think, if you're going to do that. My problem with the with the playing the frontline soldiers is the problem I have with military um, authority, or that I imagine I would have if I, if anybody were ever stupid enough to conscript me <laughs> into 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 the forces. You're, um, you're they, old enough now; you can forget it. <laughs> oh, come on! I have great hopes of modern life extension technology. Perhaps unrealistically, yeah, I, I, I have certainly found um, many many players are reluctant to follow orders. Many players are reluctant to give orders. When I've run a military game at conventions, I, I usually put up the individual PCs' names for people to sign up for, yeah. and the, the commanding officer is always the last one anybody signs up for. 
I can't see why. In a, in, I, I've, I've mentioned this to Americans and, and they say, hey, I'd go for that first every time. I, yeah. I think it may be the people who go to the conventions I go to. But Well, it's true. You have better, you have, uh, you have better role-playing opportunities playing the, uh, playing the, uh, the, the Cockney Terrier fight in the front lines. But there's a certain fun, uh, fun in, being, in being the Rupert as well. But, yeah, the, the fact is that, as with all military structured campaigns, somebody has to be in charge, and there's somebody in charge beyond them issuing stupid orders. And yes. you're, you're at the... Mm-hmm. And, and the, 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 the fact that, uh, that uh, British officers carried sidearms traditionally so that they could shoot any... Uh, any, any, uh, any, any Privates who didn't feel like going into the front line. That's one of the reasons. Another reason was they gave them pathetic sidearms so that they wouldn't concentrate on using them and would think about what their men should be doing. <laughs> Roger. I think one traditional answer to this, um, particularly handy if, if you've only got a group of, say, four or six players, is a special operations unit. Yeah. Um, because while, while there is a formal hierarchy still, uh, they are traditionally much more open to everybody on the team having their specialisation and being, a- being able to say, I think yeah. we should do this. Um, the, the other approach that I've seen, I think Weird War 2 does this, um, it's suggesting, say, say you've got an infantry platoon as, as your basic unit, each, each player has one PC in that, um, and everybody else is an extra who, who are jointly under the control of, of the players until somebody gets killed and they can be somebody's specific PC replacement. Yeah. Yeah, the, it feels almost like the lazy answer, but it is a good answer for go, going for for special operations teams because, as you say, um, even in the modern SAS, or actually yeah. especially in the modern SAS... Um, it's quite democratic. It's quite, it's <laughs> yeah. quite democratic. And um, I, I think World War Two is one of the first conflicts that actually don't, really has dedicated small teams to do strange stuff in an unconventional way. I mean, you've got yeah. World War First World War snipers um, for, and one or two other things like that, but it's certainly on a large scale, and, and it does seem to be where a lot of the legendary of the war comes from, mm. where you, you couldn't really do that in the American Civil War, so. Yes. The other advantage of the Special Operations Unit is it can go a lot of places and do a lot yeah. of different things. Yeah, there, there are some historical infantry units that went around all over the place, but if you want to hit all the high points, it's not going to be a regular unit. Yeah. Well, if you're going for the weird, weird stuff, then um, then this is our unit which knows about the weird stuff. We, we It gets a lot of use. Yeah, so in, in the campaign I'm running, they, they think they're probably one of about two or possibly three such units. But you're not clear to know that. But, yeah, indeed, they're not allowed to know. <laughs> <laughs> there are a whole bunch of things that we know we're not allowed to know. The, the, the players are very carefully avoiding going anywhere near Bletchley Park, for example. <laughs> because if the PCs found that stuff out, they wouldn't get sent abroad anymore. Come or, on. Some of the stuff we do know, you wouldn't want the Germans to find out, but it comes under the heading of, they'd never ask you this. <laughs> <laughs> If they ask you that, they already know the answer. One of the things I I like about this war as a setting is that while you've got these small units that do strange things, it's also big enough that there is plenty of room for factions and secrets and things you're not allowed to let your own guys know. Yeah. Never mind letting the enemy know about them. So all all sorts of room for for politics and home front stuff there. Yeah. What's your mixture of weird to mundane stuff? I mean, I was going to ask, is there a... Are there people, would there be people, who would like to play a purely mundane um, 
if if perhaps special forces ba- based game. I wouldn't mind playing it. I mean, I, I took the particular decision to run the game I'm running um, because I thought it worked worked out that way for the sort of things I wanted to do with it. But I, I would have no objection to playing or running a mundane game. Hmm. Indeed, you've given me an idea for a World War One version of this game that I can sl- that I can slip in between the pages. <laughs> <laughs> Going up to the high end of weirdness, um, could we talk about time travel into uh, into the Second World War? Mm-hmm. Could we talk about um, well, uh, should we kill Hitler? And and also the 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 big the big other big scenario that's p- popular is dumping a modern military unit back into uh, back into some crucial moment of uh, of the Second World War, the the final countdown. Mm. Syndrome. There are even a couple of books um, which, I've, which I've come across uh, and based around that. Could that be fun? Possibly. I, I think we should possibly mention that one of the um, things proposed by one of, one of the players in, in my campaign, who is his character is suddenly a charisma monster, was we will parachute him into Berlin with two bottles of really good champagne and Hitler's address. <laughs> <laughs> For operation, Oi, Adolf, stop it! <laughs> However, this only works before the war kicks off. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, it's not, not something I've looked into particularly. I, I, the, the, there is a sort of time travel element in this game, but it's not. it doesn't involve the PCs. They, they, they got a message from the future. It doesn't appear to be the future they're going into. No. Well, that's... Almost comforting. Yes, <laughs> it it did involve an info dump of the of what appears to be a, a, the real historical course of the war. This this, it, this was to some extent a meta game thing because yes, the players are good at firewalling, but I wanted them to be able to say yes, we, yes, we do actually know this mm. in character. Yes, it, it has been very helpful with the firewalling. <laughs> Uh, excuse me, the, the, for those of you who have just, only just worked out what they mean by firewalling in this... Se- separating player and character knowledge. Thank you very much indeed. This has been a piece of uh, role-playing gaming uh, jargon which was brought to you by this podcast. <laughs> Let's try and make it popular. <laughs> All right, so just th- thinking again about military games before mm. we go on, on to the other campaign styles... Having th- well, one has to consider where they are. Um, the, the ones that have gone into any detail um, have tended to be the European theatre. And I think... Uh, let, let's start off assuming these games are mostly written by Americans and therefore it's going to be European theatre after D-Day or Pacific theatre island hopping, broadly speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the Pacific conflict lends itself more to wargaming. I mean, yes, there are infantry actions on, on islands, but it's, there are a lot of ship, ship and air battles. Um, the infantry actions are fairly small. You, you, you've gone to this island, you kill the guys on it, you hold it. That's about as simple as as you can get. And if, if if you're having liberty, then you're probably going a long way back towards friendly areas for liberty. And, Whereas and, in, in Europe, you've got the town you've just liberated, and everybody in it is very pleased to see you. Some of them may even be genuine. You, you've got NPCs, you've got confusion... He's got beer. complication. <laughs> I, I, I think this this does tie into the national mythology as well, and the the American experience of being in the UK and going into Europe is it's I think the source of the whole we will be greeted as liberators that some of them have believed for succeeding years. Yeah. Um, the the British national myth of, of the war I think is much more about Dunkirk and the Blitz spirit than about yeah. going out and saving the world. Yeah, it's about surviving. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think it's about doing the right thing, despite it costing you everything. Mm. 
Um, Churchill said he did not become the, uh, uh, the, the king's first minister in order to preside over the dissolution of the British Empire. He was wrong about that. <laughs> Wasn't his purpose at the time. <laughs> well, no, but he but he did it he he did it anyway because it was the right thing, and, and so did the rest of us, which is the thing we feel we feel proud about. <laughs> Going on to other forms, what other forms of uh, of campaign based kind of be espionage? I suppose is the obvious. Yes, I, I think that 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 is the nominal theme of mine, and I and I think it works quite well. It, it gets you a connection with the military side of things. Um, it's very rarely mentioned in in-game texts. I mean, even Gertrude also doesn't say doesn't say a lot about it. You've got some templates for people who might be doing that sort of work, um, but there doesn't seem to be a general lot of support about it. I, I, I think I can yeah. offer a simple reason for that. Espionage is something that's done by one or two people, not four to six. True. Yeah. <laughs> And if one's being realistic about it, a lot of it is done from one's office. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I pro probably technically that the, the campaign we're, we've been talking about, where, where we've got five or six regular PCs, is a sort of hybrid of espionage and special forces, and you do you do get to shoot stuff sometimes, though most of you aren't, aren't specialists in that. It, it's its core or setting is that we're MI five British Counterintelligence's team. <laughs> And so half our scenarios have been stopping weird shit happening in the UK. <laughs> mm -hmm. But when you do go out into actual espionage, again, you are, you are going to be primarily stuck in the European theatre because of cultural well, difficulties. Mostly. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the party has recently been operating in the Pacific. Mm. Uh, they were on Guadalcanal for a while. And they, that they, must they, have been they, fun. And they just, just made an extremely informal and undocumented raid in, onto the Japanese mainland. <laughs> Oh, well, it remains so. Uh, yeah, I, I gotta, I've got to say, uh, the, the Pacific Theatre, unless you are playing Marines going out and shooting giant Japanese monsters or uh, raiding, uh, raiding their esoteric research facilities, I don't see it has that many um, opportunities uh, um, other than, you know, sitting on an island, getting off the island, going to the next island. Yeah, so, so, some of the others. Um, if... if um, if one removes the uh, atomic bombs and ha has the invasion of Japan, then I think that might start to be a bit more the, the conventional approach. And yes, you are still you are still going to stand out as an obvious foreigner, mm. but you are going to get so you're every you're going to get the same sort of effect that I've been talking about, where every everybody is friendly and some of them at least are untrustworthy, mm. uh, which which I think is where it starts being interesting from a role playing point of view. Yeah, I think in Japan there might uh, it might have been an sh actual shortage of people who were even pretending to be friendly. Yeah, they possibly, really were yeah. very indoctrinated. Yeah. Um, the, the the other major style of game that, that occurs to me that I don't I haven't heard of anybody running particularly is basically on the home front exclusively. Mm. Um, being who? Being well, the, there are various different sorts of things you could do. I mean, I I could see a campaign of Black marketeers, for example. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how much it would have in the way of legs, but I, I can see it being fun for at least for a few adventures. If you wanted to do a comedy campaign, you could do Dad's Army. That's got quite a variety of plots for a, a set of characters. Yeah, and <laughs> what, what, one of the things I've, I've been vaguely thinking about is, is a sort of soap operatic game. Um, your PC selection is people who live on this particular street in London. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would be tricky in that they probably wouldn't do, be doing a lot of things together, but Bill Stoddard seems to manage campaigns where PCs are off doing 
completely different things a lot of the time. I think uh, I, sh I should probably point out, even though, even though I, I, I did not, do not actively like it, I should probably point out uh, Robin Moore's new creation, Hillfolk, for, or, or something like it, perhaps, uh, for doing that sort of uh, uh, soap opera-focused event. There were, I, uh, I, can, I, can, I can feel the, um, uh, the specification of the, of the, uh, of the, of the, of the campaign coming on on me now yeah uh, 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 or an english village yep um perhaps uh perhaps in more time uh, yeah a village is a better bet than a london street actually mm. Mm. because well, because you've got more variety of people yeah. you've got more variety of terrain yeah uh, and you've got a less concentrated threat of destruction if you're a village in kent Mm. Actually, no. But it lasting over more time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, can, you can have rumours of strangers being seen, and mm. yeah, you know, well, mur murders and uh, and detective stories, and and uh, and who is uh, dodging dodging the uh, the the their duty, and uh, and who's uh, got eggs, uh, and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, another thing one might look on, I I think this would this would be very difficult to run because systems just don't support it but um, the, the the story of the guys breaking the breaking the enigma and other codes is an interesting one it's just very hard to game because fundamentally i, I can't think of a game that really sophisticates this beyond make your mathematics or cryptography role yeah quite unless you can get unless you set the players to solving cryptograms themselves and yeah yeah, yeah that, and that, that's either going to take forever or they're going to go oh that's perfectly straightforward so in the end, I suspect that that would also do best if it, if it were mostly about the interpersonal stuff yeah. in in this constrained, high pressure setting. Yes, another setting that would that the British can't quite play, and the Americans are a bit a bit further from being able to play, is resistance when you're being occupied. Mm. Uh, I, we don't quite know enough. Of, we don't quite know enough about it. it it's back to national myths. Yes. Um, on the other hand, on the other hand, we we the, we also have uh, SOE um, and uh, and the possibility of yeah. You would have to get inside the the skin of another nation and another nation which has had its national pride thoroughly trampled on, and that is not something that's easy to do. Actually, this is going to come around to something I wanted to talk about, wanted to bring up, which is um, triggers and areas you shouldn't delve into. Because the, uh, war is a very distressing thing. Yeah. And uh, though we would like to be heroes, um, and we want to play heroes in our games, there are things that are going to, to trigger, and themes that are just too terrible in uh, I think it's in Weird War Two, the GURPS version. That they talk about why it's not a good idea to have uh, the Holocaust motivated by um, by supernatural. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and they, they do have have some mentions of ways you can work it in as not that. And I think you you've you saying something about in nomine. Uh yeah. In, in In Nomine, I don't know a lot of the story, but a group of friends of mine did play a World War Two In Nomine campaign. Something that was established as a ground rule from the start was 
No, the Nazis were not the creations of hell. Hell leapt aboard and tried to encourage them, but they started by themselves. Mm -hmm. That is a fundamental theme of it, Nomine, that humans can do more than angels and more than demons. And and you're more good and more evil. Yes. Yes. I I, I seem to remember that uh, World of Darkness also made, made an explicit denial of any sort of arcane connection. Uh, well, quite happily scooping up every other historical figure to be to have been a vampire or a werewolf or a mage oh, or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, you, you have to you have to trim that back again. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I think also considering th- things that will make players unhappy, um, particularly if you are being realistic about it, lethality is a problem. Um, yes, penicillin is vastly better than what came before, but it's still awfully easy to be killed or crippled if you're going into action. Penicillin isn't there until. 44, or, or later. And yeah. Um, yeah. E- even if you stay alive and rel- relatively intact, you, you may well be out of action for months if you get seriously wounded. Yes, that is another advantage of a campaign with weirdness. Yes. Healing! <laughs> <laughs> a tactic from that Brandenburger campaign I played, which requires a little adjustment to its game mechanical effect, but once you get used to it, it's fine, is the buddy effect. You have a large supply of NPCs with you. Any circumstance where somebody's being shot at in a group, it's the NPC that's being shot at. Oh, yeah. It's horrible cruelty to NPCs. Could it cause immense guilt feelings in (laughs) sensitive players and player characters? I I knew people. He talked about his wife and how he was going to go home after the war. But it does create a sudden and really serious feeling of crisis for the players when they start running out of NPCs. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, things get really serious. Mm. Where is my meat shield? No, no, that's, I'm not sure that's a sort of thinking. <laughs> well, I think you're going to talk about NPCs as replacements. As here, comes, as the here comes identical part, part private number 27. <laughs> Nobby, you're promoted to play a character. (laughs) Oh, no, not again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The player characters in that campaign weren't people who you could just pull replacements for up. They were were assorted weirdos, athletes, racing drivers, people Mm. who spoke six languages... Yeah, burgers were like that. <laughs> I was going. I was going to say that uh, that that mm. you you should probably use some of the uh, troop play idea from um, Ask Magica in any any if you're going to be be serious or realistic about uh, about casualty levels. Yeah, you should feel that 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 you. If your characters, uh, if your character is dead or injured, you should feel, or just injured, you should feel. I'll, pl- I'll play Nobby th- this week yes. and give him a bit more background and a bit more interest and, and yeah. expand him a little. I could see, for example, a tank squadron game where each player is a tank commander, where it is necessary to role play the in- members of your tank crew. The other players fill that in. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's nice. I, I think that could work in um, sim- similarly with the um, people in a village mm. campaign. Um, a, a lot of the time, you're going to have have a bit of story that focuses on just one of the PCs. Yeah. And if if you've got players who can step in and be NPCs for that, it would yes. certainly make things more interesting. I think even for people like me who have basically no family connection to the war, um, my, my my people were 
doctors and such like, and not, not really involved. Um, there, there's still exposure to the national myth of you know, the Blitz spirit and rationing and yeah, so on. Whereas in Roger's game, I carefully constructed my character and his family so that they've got a lot of reference to my I father's family without any of them being the same people. <laughs> oh, and there was a lot less criminality in my family. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I am thoroughly exposed to the to the national myth through my uh, through my family, even though their their parts weren't particularly glorious. My my father always said. But uh, when they heard his tra- his basic training was completed, the Japanese instantly surrendered. <laughs> <laughs> My father was a member of the Normandy Veterans Association. He walked calmly down a landing ramp on D plus twelve. No shooting was audible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. What haven't we touched on? The military games we talked about are, are mostly infantry-based. Um, I'm not sure how viable other sorts would be without turning into war games. I mean, you, yeah. John, John just mentioned the tank company. That could, could be one way of doing it. But um, a, a naval game, for example, I, I think you would need multiple PCs per player just so that they can, they can be, be involved yeah. in things a lot of the time. The, 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 the star, one of the Star Trek uh, um. role-playing games... Had you have it had 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 such a, an extensive ship combat system that you could play out people being at their at yeah. their at their, yes. at their positions on on the on the bridge and and doing things that they they would do when the action came to it. But I'm not sure most gamers would most role gamers. I apologise to our wargaming brethren would be that interested in the mechanics of uh, of a ship to ship combat. Mm. in the Second World War. A game set on shipboard mm. might be interesting. Yes, I'm for the combat business, the idea occurs to me suddenly of each player is playing a department. Mm. You're the you're you're playing the engineering department, you're playing the gunnery department, yeah. you're, things like that. So the pr- person you play most of the time is the officer in charge of it. Yeah. But if we need to go down to some individuals, yeah, individuals, you're the one who has the feel of how this all works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whether this would lead to one player having the stage for an excessive period of time. Always a possibility. Yeah. The, the, the other thing might be you, you, you have the department head and other players will step in as your subordinates. Yes, but but that gets kind of clunkier because one person gets to establish a more consistent feel for the department and how it operates. Yep. One downside we haven't, haven't considered of a, of a point-based game, the officer always ends up being less competent than the men because he's paid points for his rank. <laughs> <laughs> You really shouldn't charge them for things that you're going to impose on them. Well, somebody's got to take it. Yeah, right. Um, well, yeah, I, don't, I dislike, I dislike, I dislike um, confirming the Rupert hypothesis that is I, so I, prevalent amongst the non-commissioned and warrant officers, I, and plenty of officers as well, actually. <laughs> I, I find that what what happens when you are characters with some military hierarchy. You get to discuss things, but if there isn't a consensus, then the guy with the rank makes the decision. Mm. And that's uh, uh, fairly workable. It, it also works as a social advantage for him when, when yeah. you're dealing with people who are in that structure. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, it's it's not perfect, but it's not not as bad as it might be. Yes, yes, I have to cop to one charge of disobeying orders for a period of one second, <laughs> for which I got a large decoration. So I think I'm all right. <laughs> Don't do that again. <laughs> He didn't realise I had. <laughs> the, the Victoria Cross has been described as, well done, never do that again. <laughs> the, the re, it is one of the category of, you ought to be dead medals. Mm. Any other thoughts? One thing, when Scotting versus being in the storm of publicity, mm. uh, maybe it's me, but I think most players would probably prefer to be in the wainscot and keep on actually doing things than be subject to what happened to pilots who got huge decorations and then spent months going on promotional tours and things like that. Mm -hmm. That gives me an idea for a future adventure. <laughs> <laughs> there is, well, wainscotting, the, the question, you know, well, the, the, the question with wainscotting is, it, can you break it? Can you make the weirdness so weird that the world no longer no longer can ignore it. And yes, <laughs> yes. The, the, the Should are, you? But well, yeah. the, the the big change in in the campaign I'm running, as far as people knowing about it is concerned, is that the, Jap the Japanese had a new sort of aircraft. It goes very fast. It has a long flame out of the back, and it's very difficult to shoot down. And uh, combined with some other special effects, th this allowed them to make huge gains in the Pacific to the point where, where they have attacked Hawaii. This is no longer a historical game just on that basis, never mind the stuff that hasn't come to light yet. The history books will look different. Yeah. Now, we might have done something about that had we gone and <laughs> onto the Pacific six months earlier, but we were kind of busy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, but, but where, where I look at the result of that, um, th this is really a matter of considering the, the temperament of, of the Japanese commanders at the time, and if, if they could go on further, they would go on further. They, they are all whatever resources they have. They are going to overstretch themselves and outrun them because that's what they that's what they're like. Mm. And yes, they've got a bit further in this case, but I don't see the overall course of the war of the war in the Pacific being hugely different. Yeah, the timing may end up being different, but the the future attitude of Hawaii may be very different. Mm. <laughs> yes, and s something you mentioned about the great man versus implacable forces theories yeah. of history. Both of those have always seemed to me to be straw men. Go on. Yes, there are forces that end up just changing everything. Industrialization, mm -hmm. Asian things like that. Yes, there are individuals who very much affect timing and character of historical events. Mm -hmm. For example, it probably is possible that if Churchill had not become Prime Minister in 1940, we would have reached an armistice with Germany and yeah. the course of the war thereafter would have been very different. But both of these things, both the forces and the men, are significant. And which, which determines any given situation? You have to look at the situation, and even then it may not be clear. But from the point of view of, um, of role-playing, what you want is the butterfly hypothesis, that, weird, that, that shit can happen and things can change from just a tiny bit of difference. Yes, yes and no. And this is what, what, what I was saying earlier about you, you, you don't want no change, you also don't want huge massive changes in a long-running game. <laughs> 
I'm sure but but en- enough that the PCs have made a difference is, is roughly what I'm aiming for. I'm yeah. willing to I'm willing to put money that if um, if Archduke Ferdinand had turned left instead of right, yeah. subsequent history across an entire continent and across the entire mm. planet might well have been very different. I might be wrong that the Serbians were being assholes. Yes, so, something else might have triggered it. But, so, but, time, so, but the, the timing could have shifted by months or even years, and that so, would make a difference. Several years, indeed. It, 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 yes, it, it's, both great, it's both great forces, the fact that, that the Austro-Hungarian Empire is simply not stable long-term. And the, and, the, and the Serbians wanted to chance their arm as much as possible. Yep, plus the unstable cascading alliance systems... Yeah. And where, where I come into that is that if, if, if your adventure is about the assassination of the, of the Archduke, yeah. then you can have any outcome you like. If your adventure is about the First World War, your campaign is about the First World War, then it would be nice if it's recognisable as the First World War. Mm. So it's probably better to leave that bit alone. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it's, it sort of depends. But there, there's always, always the, the argument, if you were doing the time-travelling thing, that you can make it turn out worse. Oh um, yes, a, a friend of mine has as his um, standard adventure for new new players in his time travel game the mission to prevent the assassination of the archduke. This is not a succeedable mission. It is used as an example by his time corps to point out: no, there are some things you just can't fix. Look at all these improbabilities. <laughs> you just ain't going to get this right. There, there are forces working against you. They're not they're not malign. It's just the universe works that way sometimes. You can successfully kill Franz Ferdinand the day before. That doesn't actually do any good. <laughs> well, I think we've talked up, down, and around hmm. this topic to great effect. I think this is a wrap. That was Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuhl. Me, Roger Bell West. And a special thanks to our excellent guest, John Dolman. Thank you. And if you have any comments to make on this or any of other of our pontifications, please write to us at podcast at techaily.ly. You see, he remembers that for me. And uh, we'll be back next month with more information, speculation, and pontification. We're good at that. Yeah. <laughs>